Day, July the uh, 4th, and uh, I know Randy was kidding about the digits, I guess, because the fireworks. So my family met yesterday, and uh, we had our big cookout, you know, and so my son thought it would be kind of cool to have a pinata filled with candy. So he walks in or comes to our house, and you'd expect it to be something like a horse or an animal, or he brings in the COVID virus. <laughs> it looks just like the virus, you know, that they've been showing on TV. And uh, they, they string it up and take a, a, you know, one of those broomsticks and just whack at it. And it broke, and my grandkids were just excited to get to candy. But that wasn't all they did. They decided then to take that paper mache paper, whatever it is, and hook it behind the go-kart and drag the virus, what was left of it, around the field, you know. And, and then, after they did that, uh, they got it into the fire pit, and I think they put some kind of a firecracker in it anyway, but then they, then they doused it with gasoline and made a, little, made a little trail and stood back and lit it and took pictures of it as it went and whoosh. I guess we're kind of angry about that thing, aren't we? There's a lot of us that would just love to do that to this virus. But you know, um, our nation is struggling not only with the virus, but several other issues, the protests, our history, our nation, our attitude towards each other. And I think it's important during our Independence Day celebrations, not only to remind us of those who have given themselves sometimes to the full measure of their life to provide us this freedom, uh, those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they weren't perfect men. Most of them, I think, were Christians, and many of them could be called what we call evangelical Christians today. They had a real faith in God. Some were deists, but most of them, I think, were real uh, believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And I think they knew that in their struggle with England, with the um, problems that they were having with King George, who decided he wanted to be the sovereign of the world, that they needed to take a stand. And they did a tough one and a hard one. If you actually go into the history books and you follow the lives of those 56 men, many of them lost everything they had, including their lives just to sign that Declaration of Independence. One of them, Samuel Adams, said this after he signed the Declaration of Independence, as it was being signed by many of the men who did that. This is what Samuel Adams said, we have this day restored the sovereign, capital S, the sovereign, not King George as a sovereign, but the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient, he reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his, capital H, kingdom come. And I think the men who founded uh, our nation or signed the Declaration of Independence, which started the whole process, 
weren't exactly wanting to do a revolution in the sense that they wanted to revolt just from England, but they wanted to do a restoration, bring to America the sovereign again, God himself as our sovereign, creator of the world, and begin to live with him and under his leadership and direction. In the declaration, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, meaning God himself, capital C, creator, with certain unalienable rights among, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They knew that to be free, completely free, you had to find the creator who gave us life. And I think that's important for us. Our nation is ailing. It's struggling on several different counts, not only our response to this virus, but response to brutality, unnecessary death, response to protesters, response to all kinds of things that are going on. And unfortunately, people are trying to make hay while the sun shines over it. But the question comes, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? And on this Independence Day holiday, which was yesterday and today, we need to ask the question, what do we need to do? Now, my father-in-law found the plaque or came up with this plaque that maybe you've heard about it or not. It's kind of based on a popular uh, political slogan which I won't mention, but instead of that political slogan, it says MGGA, which says or stands for make God great again. And I think perhaps the cure for our nation, if I was to suggest anything, would get back to God, give him his rightful place, restore the sovereign as the leader of our nation, the leader of our families, the leader of our states and our fellow man, the leader of our own hearts, if we would make God great again. Not be self-centered, not follow this group or that group, but to pledge allegiance to God. In our own Pledge of Allegiance, we say that we are one nation under God. On our money we have, in God we trust. Even the Declaration of Independence said that we are endowed by our Creator. All of those testify and witness to the place that God ought to have in our nation. And unfortunately, we've tried to strip him from the public scene, to take him away and make it freedom from religion as opposed to freedom of religion. And somehow or another, without God, we're supposed to find our way in the darkness, know how to respond to each other, how to act, how to live, what to value, and how we are to be a nation as a whole. And I'm going to suggest this morning that there is a cure, but the cure for our nation is making God great again. Now, I found a psalm, Psalm 33. And I want you to turn in your Bibles there with me to Psalm 33. Instead of reading the whole thing at one time, we're going to read sections of it and then discuss it. 
And I know that I'm a little bit on what we call exegetically not so stable ground here. Because I don't want to imply that we're going to take everything out of Psalm 33 and just apply it to our nation. But I think there is justification for David because Psalm 32 is organically connected to 33. Psalm 32 is David's confession of his sin. Traditionally, it's argued that it was his confession of his sin when he, um, when he uh, took Bathsheba and murdered her husband and did that grave and tremendous problem. And David, you know, is the king of Israel, is supposed to be the model, the leader who points his people not to himself and how great or wonderful he is, but points to God and how they were to be a nation under God, a nation serving the Lord. And after he writes Psalm 32, it's argued that he begins to pen 33, and 33 sort of is a statement resulting from David's recognition of his sin in 32 and his understanding that God had to forgive him and receiving that forgiveness. See, this is the point. Once we are forgiven of our sins, what do we do? Go back out and sin again? No, we're supposed to learn from our sins and be wise about our sins and go and avoid them. So Psalm 32 is called a mashkiel. Many of your Bibles might call it that. It's really, that simply means a wisdom psalm, a psalm of instruction and teaching. And the instruction and the teaching comes in Psalm 33. And there are three points that I think David makes that not only apply to his nation and his walk as king and his call to the faithful, and what for them and what they are supposed to do, because he says, I will instruct you, I will tell you this. I think that we can take that psalm and that advice and bring it forward so many years to today and ask the question, should that be the advice for us? It's pretty good advice. And I think if we take that advice, we'll see how we can make not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our country, ultimately, how we can make God great again. Because I don't think our problems are going to be solved until we fall on our knees, not to some protest or some idea, but we fall on our knees to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus Christ, all lives matter because he died on the cross to save all lives, all individuals for whom Jesus died were worth his, his death on the cross. And we have no right to call anyone worthless because Jesus died willingly, obediently on the cross for us. And we need to kind of come to grips with this that all life is sacred and matters. And when we kneel to God, we kneel to the, the I'm sorry, the obvious sovereign of the universe. And this is what David is trying to say. So here are the three things. I wish we could go in and look at every single word here, but we don't have the time to do it. David is a tremendous poet. And he's written this so wonderfully and amazing that it, it's just worth pondering over and thinking about. But we only have time this morning in the next couple of minutes to pick out the three major things 
that I think David is trying to advise his own nation and that we can learn from in advising us today. Number one is in verses one through five, and I call it, remember God's righteousness or his righteousness. Remember God's righteousness. So follow along as I read verses one through five. David says, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre, make music to him with a 10 stringed harp, sing a new song to him, play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Now what David is doing here is telling us that praise and uh, giving God worship in song, in praise, playing instruments to him. You know, it's okay to have a guitar here, you know, a lyre and, and a harp and all of that. They're praising God. But the purpose of why they're praising God has to do with the character of God himself. And I think that we have forgotten that character and the impact of that character on our own lives and in the lives of our nation. This is why it does no good to remove God from the public square. It does no good to remove God and his ethics from politics. Do you know that the easiest argument that there is is called ad hominem? Have you ever heard that before? If you don't have any argument, you attack the person. That's what it means in Latin, against the person, against the man. So there are people out there all the time, they don't want to talk, they don't have an argument, and all they do is they attack others. But that doesn't honor God, because God created us in his image. Each one of us matters, and what God says is right to do is what we need to do. Now, now David says here, listen, the reason why we sing, the reason why we make new songs, okay? The reason why we use instruments is because of verse four and verse five, where he summarizes the very righteousness and character of God. Remember, David is saying he's the sovereign of the universe. He's the creator. He's gonna say that anyway in a few minutes. But here's what he says, for the word of the Lord. Now, we, we know this to be what God speaks to his people in the Old Testament. Also, what he gave us in his word today is upright. It's not crooked. It's not wrong. It's right, upright. And all his works are what? Trustworthy. That means true, blue, reliable. You can bet on God if you were going to bet, right? You don't want to bet on horses. You don't want to bet on man. Those are temporary things that don't do the upright things. But if you were going to bet, always bet on God, <laughs> okay? Because all of the things that he does, whatever he does is reliable. Who is he reliable to? He's reliable to his own character, that he is a God who, who David says this, he is a God who loves righteousness. Now the prophets talk all about righteousness. He is a God who loves 
justice. That's his righteousness and his justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing covenant love. This word covenant love is the word hesed. And it means he holds on to his relationships with us. He made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. He's not going to break that covenant. He's not going to ignore that covenant. His character is to say what he means and to do what he says. And he is upright and just and righteous and full of faithful love. This covenant love. David is saying, look. If you want your nation to be successful, if you want your life to be successful, then get God into it. And we don't decide that we're going to use this ethic or that ethic. Some scholars have suggested that we take the word justice and the word righteousness and translate it as social justice. You've heard that, right, before? Social justice, anyway. And I don't know if I agree with that because I'm saying the, the, the principles and the priorities and the way that we judge what social justice is usually depends upon society or some group. I think David is saying you don't need to depend upon society. You don't need to depend upon celebrities. You don't need to depend upon talking heads or politicians. You need to depend upon God. It is God's ethics. God's character, God's desire that we are called upon to live under. If we want to make our nation great, we need to make our God great. And you know what we do? We ignore him. There's no fear of God anymore. We go out with a high hand and do whatever we choose. That's what our nation does. I don't think anyone is sitting there pondering what God's character is, what God has said, what would please God, what would honor him, what would be fulfilling God's will and what he desires of us. If we did, we'd look very long and hard at our lives and the sinfulness of those lives and repent of those things and seek to live in a way that mirrors and imitates and shows the world not who we are, but God's character of righteousness, God's call for justice, and God's commitment to be in that relationship with us. So I think the very first thing we need to do is to remember God's righteousness, God's character, and make that a priority in our lives. That would be a cure for our nation if God would become our God that way. Secondly, David says that we need to recognize God's reality. That's another thing. If we don't care about his ethics or his desire for us, then we basically ignore him. And we say he isn't there. But indeed, he is there. Let's look in verses 6 through 12 of this uh, Psalm 33. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. Actually, David, as a psalmist, says... In a particular Hebrew construct, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all the hosts of heavens were created. You have to understand here that, that God did this. God hung the stars. God made the heavens. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into, the store, into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. 
Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart will go on from generation to generation. Happy, and this is a key verse, happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. Now, David's argument is this way. Look, you cannot ignore God's part in the world. He created the heavens and he created the earth. And all of these things came about by his word or by his action. He created the seas and made them the broad and vast thing that it is. As a result, David is saying, this is the way we need to respond. The whole earth should fear the Lord. And all those who dwell in the earth should do what? Should stand in all of him. In fear of him and in all of him. Because all he had to do was speak. And David is reminding us of the creation. All he had to do was speak and it came into being. All he had to do was command it and it was. All you have to do is read Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The creation happened that way. In the book of Job, Job is railing about God and saying, God, you're not just. You got it wrong. And God asks him in the end of the book, were you there when I strung the lines of the heavens? Were you there when I created the behemoths? Were you there when I did this and when I did that? If you were there, then you can talk to me. And Job has to say, I, I really can't. <laughs> he has to recognize that he's human, but God is God. See, one of the things I think our nation has done and the world has done is to ignore God's presence. God is the creator. Samuel Adams says we have today restored the sovereign, not King George, but God himself to our nation I think our nation can be cured if we recognize God's presence. See, if we recognize God's presence, maybe we would be less inclined to sin against him, to do things our own way, to go out and with a high and cavalier hand sin and do whatever we want and satisfy our own pleasures and our own goals rather than bow before the Lord, that take our knee before him and say, yes, Lord, what would you have me to do? I know I'm a sinner. I know you created all these things. David had dealt with that in Psalm 32 and he asked God to forgive him and God forgave him. And now he's saying, okay, how do I live? Well, I can't forget God's reality. And our nation and some of those in the world are trying to forget his presence. I know that our nation is not totally Christian, but the men who framed the Declaration of Independence were believers, most of them, and they wanted God to be the sovereign of this kingdom. I think our nation will survive and I think we can work through these issues if we recognize and we understand the reality of God. God's in this world. He's not this old grandfather with gray hair sitting in a rocking chair that he bought at Cracker Barrel 
and just rocking back and forth as one singer called it watching from a distance. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be part of what we do. He wants to help us and to bless us to live a life that honors him and in turn, he will turn and return and bless us. Verse 12 literally says, happy, blessed is the man in Psalm 1-1 who walks with the Lord. And here David is saying, blessed is the nation in verse 12 whose God is the Lord. The same Lord who created the heavens and the earth. The same Lord who gave us uh, his son Jesus on the cross. That indeed is the God, is the sovereign, is the character, is the will that we need to follow. Not this ism or that ism, not this doctrine, political, religious, whatever, or this. We need to focus upon God and seek him by recognizing his reality. Do we ever walk around in our regular lives recognizing that God's real? Or we sort of forget it because we get caught up in all the things of life and we forget that he made us. That it's, what did we sing in the song? It's his, his breath that we breathe. We, we live and we exist because of him. And we need to cherish him and to make him the God of our nation. We need to pray that we would become his possession, that he would lead us and direct us. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. And the goal would be to win people to the Lord. Sometimes I get frustrated at churches and my fellow Christians because they think what they need to do is get together and have a love fest. And oh, wonderful how it is great. But the whole nation is, the whole world is going off. Actually destined for eternal damnation and hell. I cherish our missionaries who are willing to go around the world in a culture that isn't like ours and begin to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking here, good Lord willing, uh, in a couple of weeks on the very first uh, mention or the, the mention of the Great Commission in Acts where Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. So you get, are you starting to understand what I'm trying to say? Maybe our nation is in the shape it's in because we Christians have stopped being the witness to the reality of God. If we would share with people his presence in our lives, his presence in our church, the presence in the world, maybe they would stop and say, oh, is he watching me? Or what does he want of me? One of the big questions was why were we created and what, what does God want of me? God wants to live with you in a, in a wonderful relationship in Jesus Christ. And we need to share that with the world. And maybe when they come to know Christ, and they walk with our God, then God will bless us, make us happy, but, but bless us. And we'll be a nation that will be able to share Christ with the world. David said we need to recognize his reality. Well, is God, is the Lord the God of our nation? I don't know. I think it's money, fame, fortune, drugs, you name it, pleasures power. 
those seem to be utmost and foremost in a lot of minds. And they act towards gaining that and not gaining the knowledge of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The last point here in verses um, 13 through 22 is to rejoice in God's remembrance. Now, this just takes a few seconds to talk about, but here's what we need to read in verse 13 down through 22. And the whole thing is, is the idea of God looking and gazing, you know. Oh, I, I did forget one point, which I do want to say in verse 11, uh, tw- 10 and 11, no matter what the, the, the nation's counsel to do, they plan, they're going to do, God brings that to naught, but you need to know that the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of God's heart are eternal. Now let's go down to verse 13. The Lord looks down, and this is all about looking, considering, gazing, thinking. David is doing a great job here being the poet. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. You know, God sees us. You know, the idea that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, it's totally bogus. No matter where you are, God sees you. God knows you. God understands what you're doing. Um, He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. Listen, he says, a king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But then in verse 18, he says, but look, literally, hey, he says, want to get your attention. There's a telephone call you get. And so you pick it up. Attention, attention, attention. This is card services calling. At that point, I hang up. But they're trying to get your attention. David says, God says, look. Or David says, look. The Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him. Those who depend on his covenant love. It's the same word that's in verse 5. They translate it there, his unfailing love. But verse 18, it's his faithful love. It's the word we call hesed. You may have heard of that word before. Those who depend upon his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Whatever it may come, however your life might be, God will keep us alive. In the virus, in the unrest, God is the one we need to look to and we can trust him. Verse 20, we wait for the Lord. That literally means we hope in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. You know the shield you put up? David knew about shields. Uh, He was a warrior. And he is our helper. Um, Samuel set up this stone and called it the Ebenezer. We sing that in one of our songs. It's in the Old Testament in Samuel. It literally means stone of help. Where they're recognizing by a monument that God defeated their enemies, the Philistines and save them. He is our help to save us. He is our shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. God remembers us. He is faithful and we in turn trust in him. May your faithful love, there's that word hesed again, rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. 
We need to rejoice in the fact that God is not out there sitting in a rocking chair, but he wants to be intimately involved in our life. How did he do that? Well, it's simple. He gave us Jesus Christ on the cross. He allowed his son to die for our sake, to forgive us of our sins. And you know what? Our salvation, and I try and tell people this over and over again, is not just to get you a ticket in the front door of heaven. People think that all that they're doing in recognizing God and Jesus Christ is making it so that one day they can pull that I get a free pass into heaven ticket and show it to St. Peter at the gate or whoever's there. And we get into heaven. And that's all it is. But that's not what faith in Christ is. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Yes, we become the child of God and we have eternal life. But the point is, eternal life begins the moment you ask Jesus into your heart and Jesus becomes your Lord, your master. The Holy Spirit is given as the earnest or down payment of all of this and you begin to live with Jesus that very moment. You can either ignore him or you can let him be Lord. If you ignore him, none of his blessings come your way. You're ignoring your best hope, your best plan, your best opportunity to live beyond whatever you may have dreamed with a God who loves you so much. How much? Well, you know the little kid's book, To the Moon and Back? Well, God loved us so much that he gave us his son on the cross. And that's a whole lot in my estimation than To the Moon and Back. He wants to walk with you to live with you, to guide you, to help you, to be your helper, to be your shield, to be the one who gives you a life beyond all that you ever expected to have. That's the moment you come to know Christ. It's not heavenly fire insurance. It's a walk, examining and learning the unsearchable riches of Christ, as Paul talked about. I think that our cure for our nation is for them to come to know the one who's going to rule the world eventually anyway. All we do is look at the throne names of of the Messiah in Isaiah 9 and 6. He's going to be the, the ruler of the world. Of his government, there will be no end. When Jesus comes back, we're going to follow him. But you know what it also says there in Isaiah 9, 6? It says... He will be the prince of peace. If we want peace, we find it in him. We need to tell the world this. We need to show them who God is, what God's love is all about, what God's faithfulness is all about. This is what we need to do. When we come to repent before God and to ask him to forgive us of our sins and to receive Christ Jesus into our hearts, And you know, and sometimes even after we've received Jesus into our heart, we got to kind of go back to Jesus and continue to ask him to forgive us because we forget this and we take our eyes off of God and off of Jesus and we put them on ourselves or other people. And all you have to do is turn on the news and your blood pressure goes up because we're, we're looking at the news, we're looking at other things and we're not looking to the Lord. And we need to come and ask him to forgive us. We need to remember that we serve a righteous and just God 
who loves being in a covenant relationship with us. And you know what? We can trust him to bring about that righteousness and justice through us and through his means. We need to recognize the reality of God who should be feared. I'm afraid that we don't fear God. We forget that it's appointed unto once a man to die, once for someone to die, and then the judgment. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. One day we'll stand before the Lord God. I think sometimes, although I don't know if it's biblical, that whole churches will be brought together and stand before God at one time. And God may say, how come you didn't be that do this? Or what did you do? But we have to individually stand before him. He is powerful. The whole earth and all the people should fear him. And this is a big point. Maybe we don't bother to ask for his counsel. Well, we go to all the celebrities, the talking heads, the political pundits. We go to this person or that person and we say, what do you think we should do? How many times have we fallen on our faces, bend the knee to God and ask him what his counsel is? David says here that his counsel is forever. The, the idea and the plans of God's heart is forever. And so I think we should ask God to teach us what his counsel is. I know a pastor who decided to throw out every single formula that he had learned for growing the church. And for a season, all he did was come into the sanctuary and he fell down on his face and prayed for an hour every, every day that God would move. And God moved, not necessarily in the ways that he thought he would move, but he moved to make that congregation one that sought the Lord, that God blesses. Remember in verse 12, happy is the nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the church whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the individuals whose God is the Lord. We need to rejoice that God remembers and looks and considers us, that he's always watching that he's always part of our lives in and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That he rescues us from death and keeps us alive in times of famine and trouble and difficulties. I think the key is having the Lord to be our God. But instead we've thrown out school prayer. We've gotten religion out of the public square. And it's time for us to stand up and make God great again, first by our own testimony of connecting with him and living with him and trusting him to guide us in the right, appropriate ways. When we do that, we can trust God's counsel. We can trust his help. Yes, I think we'll make it through the COVID virus. We don't have to make it a pinata and beat it up and drag it through the field and then explode it and burn it. We just need to trust God. Yes, there's unrest in our nation. And yes, we need to ask God to bless our nation and to teach us how to lead us in our nation to make him sovereign, as Samuel Adams suggested way back when, when they decided to sign the Declaration of Independence. We need to put our justice to the test by weighing it against God's justice. We need to look at righteousness not based on 
what we think is righteous. I mean, I, I tell my students sometimes that, you know, I like old music. I was born and raised and my first babysitter played the much to the chagrin of my parents when they found out, but she played all the old rock and roll. So I listened to the Shirelles and Elvis Presley before he was a big name and all that kind of stuff. And the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> I told the students about the Righteous Brothers. What? You know, who are they? Are they righteous? Yeah, they were the Righteous Brothers. But our righteousness needs to be judged by God's righteousness. We need to yield ourselves to God's righteousness, his justice, and his faithful love. We do that when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, number one. We do that even after we've come to know Jesus by surrendering our hearts to him to be our Savior and our Lord. And we do that by telling others and being the witness that God wants us to be for Jesus Christ. I think there's a cure for our nation, but it comes when we're faithful to God. May believers all over our nation be faithful to the Lord and call us back to worship the one who created us and who gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Musicians, will you come and lead us in our last song? I'm going to stand here at the front and encourage you, if you'd like to come up and meet me here, for whatever reason is the Lord leading you, then you come and I'll be here. If, uh, if not, then we'll just close in our worship service after the song. Let's stand and sing.